Is philosophy basically a useless subject with little or no practical value? Or is it, as Ayn Rand argued, an indispensable practical necessity? And what was Ayn Rand's view of philosophy? What was distinctive about the way she thought about what philosophy is that led her to conclude that philosophy has this kind of crucial importance to human life, to all our lives? And what are some different views of philosophy, different conceptions of philosophy that would lead you to different conclusions about whether philosophy has a value or what its value might be? So welcome to New Ideal Live. My name is Aaron Smith. I'm a fellow at the Ayn Rand Institute. And I'm joined today by my colleague, Associate Fellow Mike Mazza. Welcome, Mike. Aaron. Hey. It's World Philosophy Day. Or, uh, That's right. So <laughs> tomorrow's World Philosophy Day. So we uh, we heard about this World Philosophy Day that's um, sponsored by, put on by uh, UNESCO each year on the third Thursday of November. Um, and we thought it was a great uh, uh, occasion to talk about Rand's view of philosophy, um, to talk about some other views of philosophy, how philosophy is viewed by the world at large. Um, and this also happens to be the 20th uh, annual philosophy, World Philosophy Day. So um, yeah, so that's that's the motivation behind our discussion today. And what we wanted to talk about, I think, is is not World Philosophy Day, but philosophy. So um, I think we want to start, Aaron, with our uh, discussion of what this thing even is, this subject called philosophy, and what are some views of its questions and its value? Yeah, I mean, it's a World Philosophy Day. It's kind of a you know, for philosophers, uh, I think, like you and I, uh, every day is philosophy day. That's what we do uh, <laughs> as, as professionals, but also it's um, for us as, as objectivists, as people who are, you know, kind of proponents of Ayn Rand's philosophy, um, we have a distinctive view about what philosophy is. And objectivism as a philosophy has a distinctive view about what philosophy is. And then growing out of that view of what philosophy is, um, objectivism has a view about what its value is, why it's important, why it's actually it has a crucial value. Um, so it's not just sort of airy, abstruse um, talk. Um, but if you think about what philosophy is in a way in which you're not trying to say, this is what objectivism's view of philosophy is. Um, but just looking historically, um, if you start looking back to the birth of uh, at least Western philosophy. Uh, I don't know a lot about Eastern philosophy, but at least in Western philosophy, the birth of, of philosophy took place in ancient Greece. So this is in the fourth and third century. And I think what happened is, I mean, philosophy at the time was simply the love of wisdom. It's these wisdom lovers, these people that are into uh, thinking about difficult questions that are it's some in some sense at the foundations of things that they're foundational in some way to other issues about things like um, how do we figure out what what is just or unjust or more abstractly what is right and wrong what is good and evil um, and not specific questions about like what do I do in this particular court case should I accept the bribe or it's not at that level of concreteness. It's more abstractly stepping back from a lot of these kinds of concrete questions and asking, hang on a second, how do we even distinct make distinctions between something that's good or something that's bad? And then um, how do we know what any whether our answers are that we give are true? So they started asking more abstract questions about how do you reach knowledge of anything, let alone, you know, chemistry or law or whatever, but how do you reach knowledge? Is there a methodology that you need to follow? Are there standards you'd need to meet to know, to have answers to any of these kinds of questions? And I think central to the early development of philosophy, or what we call philosophy, is both how do you know what you know? Are there standards that make, allow you to distinguish between the known and the unknown, the known or just stuff you believe? Um, and questions about how to live, um, how to function in life, how to proceed, why live one way rather than in the other way. 
is there a reason to behave in a certain kinds of ways? Or is there, are there reasons to value certain kinds of things? So questions about knowledge, basic abstract questions. Basic doesn't mean easy. Basic by here, I mean abstract. Abstract questions about knowledge and what it takes to get it. Um, values and what those should be, what should we should go after. And then thinking about our character, what, how should we form our character in such a way that we can get what we want, what we take as valuable in life. And so when, when people in ancient Greece, particularly uh, starting with Socrates and Plato, um, uh, they started to see that there was an interconnection between these ideas, that you can have a, something like a framework, or you can call it a worldview, where you have a conception of, this is the kind of world I live in and have to deal with. This is how I reach knowledge about it. These are the kinds of things that are good for me and things that I should pursue. And so I can have a, you have a sort of view, a vision of myself in the world, man in the world, and how he can know about it and how he should live. And I think in that sense, um, Ayn Rand is on board with that, agrees with that. It's the basic kind of classical conception of what philosophy is, and that it's a framework of basic ideas and principles that allow you to navigate life and they provide you with guidance. So there's guidance flowing out of these facts. Like if this is what's good, what should I do? Okay, we'll go after those. <laughs> if this is what's bad, avoid those, shun those and so on. And uh, if this is how you reach knowledge and this is how you fail to reach knowledge, okay, we'll follow these methods, not those. So it's offering some kind of guidance. Uh, and Ayn Rand's definitely in that tradition. Yeah, see, so you mentioned um you're familiar familiar with the Western tradition. I, I know a little bit about um, Chinese and um, Indian ancient philosophy, and there's similar questions are coming up um, about the nature of reality and man's place in it. Um, they're not as uh, systematic in in their um, you know in, in the sense of that Plato's systematic, um, but you see that you see the pattern repeat in um in all all the, all the different um you know early cultures of being interested in these questions now philosophy as a, a subject matter i think is something you see emerge in ancient greece in a big way and in and in different ways in india and and china but it's also important to point out as we'll talk about when we get to rand's uh, more more into rand's view of what philosophy is and its importance her view is that Philosophy is something inescapable and um, a necessity for for everyone. So, even in cultures that aren't um, like there's there's uh, not a class of people explicitly asking these questions, you still see views on philosophical questions, worldviews, views of um, the nature of reality and the nature of man and human nature, what he can aspire to, what he what he can't in um, uh, myths and stories um, just across the world. So the kind of philosophy as a attempted or an attempt at a holistic worldview with with um, with man at the center is a is a view of philosophy that Rand, I think, would endorse, um, that I that I certainly endorse, I think, is constant. Yeah, and, it, uh, and it's worth it's worth trying to you can formulate you can think of a philosophy as a systematic integrated worldview. But you can all and like some of you something you would get in like Plato or Aristotle where you have views about, uh, about the nature of reality, about the, how we reach knowledge, about how logic works, about values and virtues and political systems, and it's a kind of an integrated whole. But you can also think about philosophy from the perspective or what it means to have a philosophy or to be operating by philosophical premises or principles. You can think of it not so much as a systematic integrated worldview, but answers to a set of questions which human beings have been asking themselves forever, basically, uh, about like often, often philosophy begins from origin questions like where does everything come from? <laughs> you know, where does this all come from? Where do I come from? Uh, you see a flower 
budding out of something. It's like, well, where, where did that come from? And they start, they're asking a lot of why questions and they're trying to get a handle on and have answers to how do things work? Um, what's my world like that I have to live in and navigate and function in? And so there's a lot of questions then you can look at it. It might not be a systematic integrated philosophy like Aristotle's philosophy or something. But when you look back at earlier things that you would look at as not quite philosophy, but as answers, offering answers to philosophic questions. Um, how do I relate to other people? Like, am I a fragment of a tribe or am I an individual? Um, what's important in life? Um, what kinds of things that uh, are admirable, noble? You know, these are like, is it, like I look back and it's Achilles and I just have this sort of vision of Achilles as a, as a hero in, in, in the Iliad uh, or in mythology. Uh, and I have some vision about what's good and admirable, what's noble, what's worth emulating. Um, these are all ways of trying to answer questions that I think you need if you're going to think about why live in one way rather than any other. Like how to proceed. I'm here, right? Now what? You know, and so it, that's, it's because human beings are in that position that you're not, you don't come into the world with a stock of innate knowledge that you like, you got your guiding principles, they're all there, you have them in advance, and then you just have to, you know, plug and play, whatever you call, just execute on all this stuff. Um, and you don't, you have to feel, I don't know what to do. Here I am. My parents tell me a bunch of stuff. And I don't know how much of this is true. Some of it I take on board. And then later on, I think, no, I don't think that's true. So then you start to have to, it's like for an individual, you have to start sorting out. What do you think is true? And what do you think is false? Because I think the way in which philosophy comes upon you, if you want to put it that way, is you grow up getting taught a lot of things about what's true and what's good. And that's your basic operating set of premises until you start to think about them. And it's like, is that true? Is it really, is there really a God? Is that, is that right? Everybody around me seems to think that like, is there evidence for this? And you start trying to formulate what do I think the world is like and what do I think is good and what reasons do I have to support that viewpoint? And then the questions then proliferate. So that's part of goes so, to the idea of being capable. And maybe we should um, say a little more about what's distinctive about Rand's take on all of this. So we've been talking about philosophy as uh, a worldview, and that's you know that's not a perspective unique to Rand. I think that's a you know, commonplace um, view of what the subject matter is, at least historically. Maybe maybe not in uh, circles of contemporary uh, academia, but that's that's a kind of um, uh, widespread view now so if we think of the philosophy as a worldview um perspective on the subject what's what what's distinctive about rand's take on that is that having answers to philosophical questions is uh or having sorry having views on philosophical issues is an inescapable um um part of of, of a, an individual person. So everyone has some philosophical views on, on the um, major questions, even if they don't like reflectively see themselves as, as, as having such. So if you um, have a view of yourself uh, as um, uh, capable of um, knowing the world and of making plans and decisions that will succeed concerning your own life, that's a certain perspective on um, your your intellectual capacities, your ability to reason. That's a philosophical um, um, stance. Uh, in contrast to somebody who maybe thinks, you know, I um, the I and nobody really can figure out what's true. We have to go by um, what the what what everybody knows or what an authority figure knows. That's a philosophical take on the uh, power or lack of power of individual reason. Um, and you, we can um, multiply those kind of uh, examples um, um, in the essay philosophy who needs it. Rand gives a whole, you know, whole argument that this is 
if this is true, she gives lots of examples of the kind of tacit philosophical um, perspectives people have on themselves, on the world. Um, so in, in addition to that, it's not just um, that people have uh, unavoidable, it's unavoidable that we all form philosophical a philosophical view of the world. She has, in addition to that, that this has a real um, major impact on how our lives go. That, that is the answers to philosophical questions that we um, adopt uh, have a real impact on how our lives go. And as a consequence of, of that on, on how, how cultures evolve. So you might imagine somebody agreeing with the claim that, uh, yeah, everybody has a kind of perspective on philosophy, but that doesn't, you know, make any difference to how people live. Maybe everybody has a uh, perspective on um, what foods are most delicious and like that all that does is affect what you order at a restaurant. It doesn't shape the totality of your life. But no, her, her claim is furthermore, furthermore that philosophy and philosoph the philosophical views we have are kind of a kind of fundamental driver in the direction of our life, therefore uh, direction of, of cultures. Um, yeah, if you look at, um, uh, I mean, just contrast two philosophies, um, two way, two worldviews. You take Plato. Uh, <laughs> I hope everyone watching this knows who Plato and Aristotle are. If you don't look them up, they're important. Um, so uh, Plato uh, and his student and you know eminent philosopher Aristotle they have two kind of different ways of thinking about the world, and for Plato. Uh, philosophy is essentially a preparation for dying, a preparation for death, um, that true reality is something beyond this world that we perceive around us, and we have to ready the soul and get the soul in the right state so that it can ascend or transcend this world um, and be in its true home. Uh, and that involves certain kinds of virtues, it involves, reaches certain it involves reaching certain kinds of knowledge, it involves the view that only a small few people, the philosophers, um, are capable of knowing the true and the good. And so only the true philosophers are capable of ruling other people because the only they know what's, <laughs> the only they can make sense of the world. Only they know what things are actually valuable. Everybody else is just confused, deluded, in a cave, watching shadow paintings that completely, in effect, unaware of what the reality is really like. And that's a very different view of the world from Aristotle's. Aristotle's view is like, there's just one world, this one, nature. Uh, and we can know it. It's not like the true knowledge is some, some transcendent objects outside this world. It's this world, you know, plants and animals, you and me, uh, governments, political systems, buildings, horses, right? cephalopods right so this is the world that we can have knowledge of this is the world we need to come to understand so he's very much scientific not otherworldly um he's not religious in any relevant sense of the term i think um and he has a view a very thisworldly view of what kinds of virtues we need to be successful flourishing beings and so it's not a preparation for dying it's a preparation for life now those are two different kinds of frameworks with different sets of principles that have as a result, a different um, way of facing life. So if I was an Aristotelian, you were a Platonist, we would disagree about all sorts of things. We would conduct our lives in different ways. Um, and if you wanna just a more contemporary, or not contemporary, a different kind of example, you think of somebody who's a Christian um, or takes Christianity serious. Lots of people are just, they say, I'm a Christian and they show up on Sunday and you know they don't really apply things to their lives. But if you take somebody who took Christianity really seriously, it's more, it's closer to Platonism. It's there's another world, you know, heaven or wherever God is, that's better, more perfect, more uh, worthy of our attention um, and dedication and so on. This world, it's not bad exactly because God created it. So it's got some value, but it's, its value is only as a result of, you know, the fact that it came from God. So it doesn't have any value on its own. And what I should do is live in a way according to certain commands or expectations of a divinity so that I can get right with the divinity and he's happy with me or whatever and he takes me on and his home or whatever and that that's a very different way of looking at life from someone who thinks look there's just nature more of a satelian we it's about reason it's about science it's about logic it's about pursuing this worldly values and goals and not diminishing the material and then and, and think we should all be spiritual and um 
to just different ways of living because you have different principles that would underlie and justify that way of living. And you can see it in cultures too, cultures dominated uh, by a respect for reason, like ancient Greece, or cultures dominated, civilizations in effect, dominated by uh, Christianity, and you think about the Middle Ages and so on. Life is different. Your expectations of yourself and other people are different. Um, what you expect out of life, is it faith and hope, hope that there's another world and that you'll get divine grace and go somewhere else, or is it uh, the attacks on science and it, it's they're just very different kinds of worlds and if you look at if you look civilizationally at like eras and you look at the, what are the dominant ideas culturally dominant ideas you can see the effect of that the enlightenment versus today yeah i mean a movement toward political freedom intellectual freedom confidence in reason's power to know the world and that what we should look forward to is unlimited human progress that's not what our culture today is dominated by. I think something so we should encapsulate. Yeah, just to encapsulate, it's like sometimes a little like um, that. Rand thinks that you can't avoid having some answers to these kinds of questions, even if they're things you just sort of take on from your parents, and it's like the raft that you ride on. And I haven't thought much about it, but I'm riding on this raft, and I'm operating by these principles. And I don't really think much about them. Um, or if you if you take it seriously and you start thinking about what are those ideas that I'm functioning on and at trying to be self-conscious about identifying them and then asking, is this true? And so that you can try to reach true ideas that those are your guiding, that's your operating system in effect. Like you wanna make have true ideas uh, that you're operating by. And the more you can make that self-conscious, I think that's part of the value of philosophy, so that, that self-control that comes out. I know what ideas I'm functioning on and I know that they're true um yeah yeah so just to bring out some of that a little more if you think of philosophy as a subject matter um <clears throat> so one one thing uh rand's claiming in her in her take on what philosophy as a subject matter is is that everybody has an implicit philosophy and it's um one of the values of learning philosophy is to in effect check that implicit is this a are these things i believe actually true do i have good reasons for them but if you think of philosophy as uh, a subject matter like as a as a thing somebody can think about um uh, in a serious even like as a profession in a serious way it's it's its goal is to formulate a consistent worldview and it's it doesn't it's not as aaron was uh, as as you were saying and um it, it, a moment ago it's not just oh now i have this worldview isn't that interesting it's a worldview that's supposed to help us live our lives give us guidance to think about this is the way the world is this is my nature as a, as a human being and then what like what should i do what kind of person should i be what values should i pursue and that's that's another um i think not unique but distinctive to rand's take on philosophy is that it's supposed to give you guidance. It's a worldview you, we formulate in order to help us make decisions in, 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 uh, you know, on the, on the big questions in our lives. And that I think stands in contrast to at least now, some of the commonly held perspectives on, uh, on philosophy. So Aaron, we were talking earlier about, um, you, know, you tell somebody you're a philosopher, and the view most people have is, uh, what's that? Or uh, some uh, somebody once said to me, "Oh, that's like um, futurism. Like you guys just make up things about how the world will go in the future." It's like, eh. one, of the, exactly. one of the things I got. One of the things I yeah, got you, was, um, yeah, uh, um, at a restaurant. This guy, I was talking to this guy, and he says. Uh, so what do you do? And that's always a funny question for me, because if I if I I have different ways of answering this, if I say I teach philosophy. People can kind of get OK, so that's a subject, maybe he's in a university or teaching some subject or whatever. That's that's not confusing to them, although they don't really know what philosophy is. But if I say I'm a philosopher, which I am, uh, that strikes them as odd. I mean, it sounds like you're kind of a guru or something. And so <laughs> so I 
this guy says, oh, so what do you do? And I said, well, I'm a philosopher. Um, and he says, oh, really? Oh, that's cool. So like, so what are some of your sayings? <laughs> like I'm Yoda or something like yeah. war does not make one great. Um, uh, and you know, you have aphorisms, like aphorisms or a set of like, a, you know, like in, in wisdom, you know, in the Bible, you've got this kind of set of yeah. sort of aphoristic type of um, nuggets of wisdom. And that's, that's some connection to philosophy, but it's not the way I think about it. And in, in like eighth grade, ninth grade, I remember, I had a, a physical education teacher who says, uh, it's funny, I have this view now, but he had this, he said, you know what? Everybody has a philosophy, he tells me. I'm like, I don't know what philosophy is. I never heard of this stuff. And his, his example was something like, uh, the glass is half full or it's half empty. <laughs> I was like, I don't know what I'm gonna do with this. That's not very helpful for me. Um, but it's in a way that there's a general kind of ignorance, at least in America. Um, um the kind of man on the street you know like i don't really know what philosophy is and um it comes out in these kinds of ways do you have like sayings or are you like a guru um or when i was teaching philosophy in university i asked i had an introductory philosophy class so there were like i don't know 40 students and i said first day of class i just wanted to get take take take, take their temperature so to speak and i said um what is philosophy so just somebody blurred out something. I'm not looking for some technical definition or something like this, but if you just had to answer the question, like what is philosophy? Student raises the hand and, and, and he says, well, it's, it's a subject that deals with kind of deep questions to which there are no answers. And it's the, and, and in the second class, because I have two sections of the same class, I got the first hand up, it was the exact same answer. Just both class, you know, it's this, you know, where do we all come from? Um, do I exist? You know, stuff like that. And it's just like, well, and I think part of that lends itself to people thinking like, this is useless. I don't know, like if you're interested in that kind of stuff, mm -hmm. I guess go for it, but like. Yeah, there, <laughs> no, there's, oh, a, there's, there's a view amongst people who, kind of know what the subject is um, maybe they've taken philosophy class maybe they were even a philosophy major or minor um, in college and they think yeah this is really interesting and fun to debate about you know like in the dorm room you have arguments with your friends but i mean this is basically useless like it's like okay so maybe um you know maybe we can we we have an answer to is there a god but like so what like, or maybe you can figure out, um, you know, you have it, like, if you're in a more technical area, like, what's the meaning of meaning or so, you know, you, I have an answer now. That's interesting. And okay. And then it just doesn't, that's, that's it. I just, I debate about it in my dorm room and then I, maybe I form a view and then I go on with my life and then I do, I do real things. And that kind of attitude towards uh, philosophy is, I think, goes back all the way to its, uh, to its founding. Uh, the, the caricature of Thales, the first philosopher, is like he's just looking at in the sky, pondering, and like he falls in a well because he's detached from reality. He's just up in the clouds. And um, what's the what's the play with Socrates in the cl um, cloud? Oh, Aaron? it's the cloud. Uh, uh, yeah, the, the cloud. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the cloud. You almost answered your own question. You know what's funny too is um, that your conception of what philosophy is affects your view about is it important what's it mean and i think that issue that the the example you brought about thales uh he's a pre-socratic philosopher so long before socrates um and the story you get about thales in plato's dialogues is that one you know he's concerned with the the, the kind of the heavens you know, and doesn't pay attention to because he doesn't take it seriously, you know, the, the physical world around him. And so he falls in a will, uh, ha ha. Um, and, but in Aristotle, Aristotle tells a story about Thales as well and says that, you know, he, uh, uh, he had been doing some work in astronomy and so on and was able to predict a, uh, a certain kind of weather pattern. And so he rented out all the olive presses uh, in Athens or where it was he was, I don't think it was Athens, but um, 
I guess he's from Miletus, so presumably he was in Miletus. But he rented out all the olive presses because he knew there was going to be a big bumper crop and stuff. And so, uh, and he made a lot of money. So partly it's, what is, these, what is this abstract knowledge that these philosophers try to gain useful for? And is it? Um, it but it depends on what your view of philosophy, because Aristotle, like I said, has a very different view of philosophy than, um, uh, I guess, that it's, it's, it's functional use in life than, than Plato does. And like you said, the, the, it's a perennial issue in, in philosophy, that philosophy is useless, they have the head in the clouds and so on. That's because in effect, in, in some sense, well, I shouldn't say that. They deal with abstract questions, which it's not obvious that you need to ask them or that they would come up. Like you're, you might be familiar with a, a coaching philosophy or a business philosophy um, or um, a sales philosophy or something where, it, where it's not a whole system exactly, but it's a set of principles that help guide you to the achievement of your goals, like to to uh, meet, meeting your sales numbers or to recruiting a recruitment philosophy, you might have that. Like what are the kind of talent we wanna bring on for our organization? What are the basic guiding principles that we're gonna to use to reach the kind of goals we're in? So they, they can get that, but the idea that you have that for life as such, I don't know, like why would you need that? Or asking questions about, I mean, I think a lot of people don't ask questions about some of these things. They might say, um, is it is it right or wrong to download this song, you know, without the copyright permissions or something like that? And you have a specific question, but I think most people don't ask. How do you distinguish between the right and the wrong? Like, where do these concepts even come from? I function with them all the time, but where do they come from? Why do we put some things in this bucket? That's the good stuff, and this is the bad stuff. And this that goes in that bucket. Like, where do we? Why do we make these distinctions? What's the basis of the distinction? Is there one? And that you're now doing philosophy. So you're asking these kinds of philosophic questions and trying to reach answers. And to the extent that you're not doing that, you just operate with whatever you were given. Um, and that's the sense in which you, there's a lack of self-control when you're not aware of and um, in control of the premises that you're sort of operating with. Yeah, so uh, I think we want to at some point talk about so for for the uh, for our objectivism course in the ARU, and um, I think I've I've assigned uh, this essay uh, in university. There's we, we have the students read this essay by Bertrand Russell. Um, it's called "The Nature and Value of Philosophy." Uh, it's it's a yeah. it's an excerpt from a, from a book. I think it's not it's not a he's, he's a famous philosopher. Yeah. So Bert, Bertrand Russell is one of the founders of like the Sometimes it's called analytic philosophy. It's the kind of dominant perspective or or, or way of thinking about philosophy in uh, Anglo the Anglo American universities. Um, so we I think he's a good contrast for Rand's view um, of of what philosophy is and what it's good for. Um, and some of the things we've been saying about like the uh, common views I think have some similarity with with um, with, with Russell's perspective. So on the, on the nature of philosophy, he's, he's got a view less that it's really a, a worldview, although he, he does think that one of the things philosophers are interested in is um, the unity and consistency of knowledge. Um, but it's, it's less that philosophy is a worldview, more that it's like a um, method or a, a practice um, and that what it essentially amounts to is kind of critical thinking um, and puzzle solving concerning deep, uh, deep fundamental questions. Um, so, and you know, from a certain perspective, that's that's true. Philosophers are interested uh, in 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 uh, you know coming at it from the objectivist perspective. Yeah, we want it, We want it, One of the things we do as philosophers is there's findings from different fields, and we're interested in how do they hang together? Um, are they consistent with each other? Sometimes, um, you know. So, uh, just take as an example, there's the kind of perspective on matter and nature that you get in Newtonian mechanics, where it's like deterministic and mechanistic, and 
there's only one possible future given a set of initial conditions. That seems to be a pretty solid scientific finding. And on the other hand, you have what we know about human, human beings. They're not mechanistic. They have free will. Um, they're, they're the cause of their future. And if they choose differently, a different future will come about. And okay, how, how do you fit both of those things together? It's not obvious what, what the right answer is. And it takes a philosopher to kind of think about those and, and integrate them more. You know, it doesn't have to be someone whose profession is philosophy, but it's a philosophical question or problem how to fit those together. So there's something to what he's saying about you know, philosophy's concern with the unity of knowledge and um, solving kind of puzzles at the borderline of, of or at the uh, forefront of, of science and uh, knowledge. Now, on the other hand, though, he's got a kind of view of philosophical questions like qua philosophical question, they're not really answerable. And then once you, when you can answer them, you're not really doing philosophy on them anymore. They sort of becomes, become science. I think this is a variation on the uh, perspective that maybe some of our audiences heard, like philosophy is what you do with a question before you can do science to it. So like you philosophize about matter and then uh, Galileo and Newton kind of figure out how to do science about matter. And now philosophy is done with that. You know, so if a philosopher is doing it, they're doing it wrong because we know better things to do. Does that that so kind you're of saying, play? You're that there's a way in which so the way Ayn Rand talks about religion is the primitive form of philosophy. The, uh, yeah. the view is that philosophy, philosophy is, is a, form of a primitive form of groping toward a pondering out in wonder of answers to questions that if they can be answered, they'll be answered by a by some one or more sciences. Uh, yeah. And so it's it, it's it, it's in its own way a kind of groping. Yeah. Now, some, something interesting too about Russell's, uh, Russell's take, and this, this goes, starts to bring us in the direction of how he, what, what value he sees in philosophy is that he, he's aware that we have a lot of, he would put it as like philosophical prejudices, um, not, just, not just philosophical prejudices, but a lot, you know, we have a lot of prejudices, including philosophical ones. And one of the values of, or perhaps the, the main value of philosophy, um, for maybe for the non-professional, um, is that learning philosophy and asking philosophical questions sort of shakes up your prejudices. So you don't just, um, don't just take for granted the things your mom and dad or your, you know, your, your little social group or your society says, like, question them and ask yourself, is this true? And do I know it? Now, um, the value of that to him, though, I mean, on this, on the face of it, just saying it that way, that sounds like, right, like, yeah, people have, we were saying earlier, people absorb kind of bromides and sayings and, um, and, and, and values and principles uh, from, from parents, teachers, broader culture, mass media, things like that. And those are, um, that were, that's something to be aware of. But remember, Russell doesn't really think there's real answers to most of these questions. So the point of busting up your prejudices isn't so you can help yourself figure out what the right answer is or what, what better answers are, but it's really kind of like human beings are arrogant in that they think they can answer these things. So we need to take ourselves down a peg and be more humble and open to, um, to the fact that you don't know. Um, yeah, you get the impression from, from Russell that um, what philosophy induces uh, is a kind of, uh, from his perspective, healthy skepticism. So we're, we're arrogant in our pretensions to knowledge. And I mean, there's something to that. I don't think it's that we're arrogant. It's that people take things for granted and think, yeah, this is obviously true. And then once they get out of their own little village, they're like, oh boy, there's a big world out there. <laughs> like, and, and this was noticed in, in ancient Greece. It was just the kind of like, well, we cremate our dead. We, you know, and then the other people, they bury them. Oh, that's horrible. Why would you bury the dead? You're gonna 
put them under the earth and they're eaten by worms and it's just like that's the horrible that's you know and they start to realize on a lot of different issues uh or some group they eat their dead or something and you're just like sorry it's hard to be icky but it's just wow there are a lot of different ways in which people um function and a lot of different ways in which people think this is right and this is wrong and then the people who uh bury their dead think you burn them you burn their bodies you know don't you want to put them in the ground and commemorate their or something and and they think your view is revolt revolting and then it sparks the, the questioning about wow maybe i'm just taking this for granted from my own culture why do i actually believe this i don't know mom told me that everybody around me seems to think that but if i grew up over there i would have a different set of beliefs and i think that is liberating in a sense, certain sense it moves you away from a parochial perspective where it's uh, you got to mentally get out of your village and and find out there's a wider world of viewpoints out there and there are a wider range of arguments and reasons given to support these kinds of things and that's part of the value of philosophy is just that it's just like i mean you take travel you, you i mean i grew up in a small town and it was like uh, a lot of people didn't leave and they lived their generation after generation and stuff and they're still there and um i mean not to disparage that exactly but it just I thought early on, there's a whole world out there to see. There's, uh, and you have a wider perspective. I mean, everybody notices that about travel. Oh, I went to Europe and I spent a, a summer in Europe or something. Uh, and wow, they have a different view toward this and that and the other. And you start to like, maybe some of that's good. Maybe I should adopt some of that because I think that's actually better. And then you get back home and you're like, yeah, but no, this is better here though. And you, you just start to sort out and figure out what's true. But so it's right to move away from the parochialism. It's right to have a broader perspective. But I think you're right also to point out that his view is it's, let's stop being so arrogant about thinking we can know the truth on these things. Uh, and that'll make us more humble. Um, yeah. yeah, but that's also a philosopher's answer to this question. So that itself mm -hmm. is a philosophic answer. These questions are not answerable. But that's open to like another philosopher can say, yeah, actually, I think they are answerable and here are the answers and stuff. So it's, yeah. Yeah, I think, I think what you get now, you know, in it, within the tradition that Russell sort of helped, helped found is there's not really too much emphasis on the like, humble your, like, humble your arrogance and, and don't be parochial, uh, parochial they i i would think especially the latter one they think is true that that philosophy can do that but really what they're concerned with like if you take philosophy classes it's more like puzzle solving um giving a, a descriptive you know if, uh, so I, I i studied philosophy of science and they don't really say like we're not giving scientists advice we're just kind of describing what they do and trying to solve puzzles about that arise when we have a perspective on how science works. And so it's the, the puzzle solving bit, the making things consistent bit, I think are what is what survives from um, kind of the Russell perspective. And then, yeah, the question is what, what value is this? That it's, um, it, if for, for the small number of people in our audience who maybe pay attention to what goes on in academic philosophy, you see like, yeah, there's a lot of like, especially recently what exactly value do we offer anybody outside of other philosophy departments you know, maybe we i write a paper so somebody else can debate me about it like is that the value of, of yeah. our profession and one of the things i one of the things i thought is, is is interesting is that uh at some point i was considering writing a piece on uh, um about the fact that uh, many departments within the humanities are doing a lot of hand wringing now because like enrollments are going down, funding is going down and they have to defend the humanities and defend philosophy. Otherwise they just get merged into another department like philosophy and religion, philosophy, and religion and languages. And at some point they just lose all autonomy because it's like, what's the point? Uh, and you watch some of the defenses and they're often feeble like this. I mean, I take this to be a feeble defense. Um, there's something right about getting away from parochialism, but if the questions uh, that philosophy deals with are A, not answerable, then who cares? He has an answer to that, but uh, <laughs> I think it's people as well. But, um, and it's also, if the real answers are being done by the sciences, then it's like, well, there's a value in just thinking about these things. And it's just, it broadens your mind. And it's like, all right, broadens it for what? 
well, there's an intrinsic, you know, spiritual value to that. And, and then like that, that's kind of lame, um, especially when they're trying to defend uh, their departments. Like what practical use is this? And you can take practical too narrowly. Like you, you, this is how to fix a ladder or something like that, but it's not that practical, but it's about, it's practical if you think about, it actually gives you, it, uh, the field deals with the issue of what fundamental truths should be guiding you throughout your life. I mean, you can't get more practical than that. That's the basis of what it means to be practical. It's useful for life. And they, they don't usually have a good way of defending that. And if you look at the descriptions on philosophy department websites, like what, what is philosophy? Why is it important? Or what's its value and stuff? It's like, well, you know, critical thinking and uh, you'll do better on the LSAT test, you know, like graduate school for law. Uh, and it's very, very little of it is about it's about trying to reach the fundamental truths that can shape and guide you in your life to success or failure, depending on what answers you get, unless it's a religiously oriented school. And then they're much more about, no, it's about what your values should be and what your place in the world is and how to function. And then that they have a more philosophical conception. Yeah, so one, so now that we've, we've talked a little about objectivism's perspective on what philosophy as a subject is versus some other perspectives on it. Maybe it'd be uh, fruitful to talk a little bit about just what are some of the philosophies out there these days? So if we think of philosophy um, as a worldview that's supposed to um, provide fundamental guidance in living our lives, um, what kind of products, philosophical products, do we, do we have on the, on the market? And um, so just to start with in, 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 briefly, um, you were, Aaron, you were just saying about what's on philosophy department websites. The closest thing you get from academia about that, that's like life advice or guidance is the really narrow things like, um, it, it's sometimes called practical ethics. Like is abortion moral, which is an important question but it the kind of they they take take it as like standalone or like how should we decide you know and there's a question of who this we is uh how vaccines should be distributed they, they tend to be very um uh concrete and um not the sort of decisions you deal with on a frequent basis so like you don't get advice like what how do, what kind of person should I, should I be? And like, how does that, um, how do I, you know, I, if I have a view of like my, my, um, myself that I, the self I want to build, like, how do I achieve that? And how do I make, um, grand scale decisions that are consonant with that? Should I, uh, you know, if I, if I have one view of myself, maybe I, uh, want to, um, be, uh, pursue like grand achievements. I want to write a, a novel or I want to um, have a, have a uh, rewarding career in software development. If I have a different worldview or sense of self, maybe what I want to do is uh, join, um, they still have Peace Corps or I want to, I want to, uh, you know, go they serve have, they, the left. Variants. I, mean, I don't know if it's still around. Yeah, it yeah. Is. They have other things. And then like, how do how do how would all that fit together into a life? Like if I joined Peace Corps, what other things um, would I have to give up, or what could I pursue, and how would that affect me in, in terms of the kind of person I want to be, and you know, vice versa for pursuing a career in, uh, in software? And you don't get really any of that from the academics. What you get is more like I'll tell you how to uh, uh, I'll I'll help us understand whether or not the government should butcher a terrorist to stop a mass murder. Like I'll, we can, that's a guidance, allegedly moral guidance. And, but that's what, that's all you get. You don't get the kind of holistic world worldview level guidance. Now where we do see that. And I think where most, uh, at least most Americans would be, would recognize that is, is in a religion. So we, I think we said earlier, Rand has this view that religion is a kind of pre-philosophy or primitive philosophy. Um, it gives you a perspective on the world and on man's relationship in it. You know, if to take Christianity, 
this world is a a shadow of or a less uh, a less real or less valuable than some higher world higher dimension where you're in a community with with god and it gives you a um like a way of life to reach the higher uh you know re reach your uh, higher goal of communion with god and you know so there's um explicit like advice like do this don't do that um but there's also a kind of um uh mythos or or or, or illustration of what this way of life looks like in stories so what you see the bumper stickers what would jesus do is a kind of you could somebody who takes exemplar. religion their religion seriously yeah there's an example you could say oh he's a christian and i don't just mean he goes to church like he you know, does all the things that he, the teachings are telling him to do and you know that's that the very, you get that in the ancient greek world too uh i mean it's what would socrates do and the, the philosophers that are coming after aristotle people like the epicureans uh even the even the skeptics and the stoics and stuff they all look back to him as sort of a an exemplar this is what it means to live life right you know and i think it's important that uh it's important to have that i think as opposed to just here's a set of theories but you know what it looks like in practice yeah 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 so <clears throat> i think religion is probably the the most familiar to most people um like worldview way of life type thing um yeah. now it, it's just it's basically uh, tradition I, it's basically yeah, tradition it's basically, here's a bunch of stuff it comes to you and just the function like this versus i need to figure out whether this is true validated yeah I, I had a i had a conversation with some people a couple of weeks ago who were not objectivists not really familiar at all with with rand but are very interested in philosophy and were interested they were asking me about objectivism I, you know just describing some of the you know the basic kind of principles and um their reaction to it was and they didn't this wasn't a, like a hostile reaction they were just trying to understand it like like given what they knew they were trying to where would this fit in in my picture of the world there's this sounds like a religion it has a set of definite positions on important questions and it, it's advocating a um a certain kind of life as better than alternatives um it's giving you guidance it has exemplars like there's there's uh, uh, novels that where the characters are supposed to show you what this way of life looks like in, in practice um is it that's isn't that kind of like a religion and like they know like yeah but there's no revealed the texts aren't revealed from any kind of supernatural entity and you're not supposed to take it on faith there's arguments for this but they're just trying to understand what sort of thing this is and the closest they could come up with is religion and i think the reason that is is just that nowadays people aren't aware of the fact that there can be non-religious secular worldviews like if you take a philosophy class you probably don't learn about that yeah with content so not just like yeah, oh there's a way of life i ask questions about things and no but there's a yeah. there's a content there's a there's a there's and it there's might flow out of that view. it might flow out of that view to some extent that they think of philosophy as philosophizing like a, in yeah. applying a certain method to things and wondering about them and raising questions and whatever but not as it's there's a content that could constitute a philosophy where these are the things that i think are true and this is the life to lead as a result and that like you said like the closest they can think to oh something like that that's more like a religion um and that's partly where there's overlap because there is i mean like like we were saying is that it, there there was a time when there were philosophies uh on offer you know so if you look back to ancient greek uh there's platonism there's aristotelianism there's epicureanism there's stoicism there's skepticism there's cynicism cyrenaicism so there's different views of life and different like and you would expect it to adopt a way of living that would flow out of your acceptance of the basic truths of these there's a funny comedy well comedic sketch i guess you'd call it by um an ancient greek uh, name uh lucian maybe it's lucian but lucian it's called philosophies for sale 
And it's funny because uh, there should be philosophies for sale, by the way. Uh, anyway, um, they treated it. So he, the, the comedy is that sort of like it was like an ancient Greek slave market where you would say they have this is the slave and this is well, he's strong and he's uh, I don't know, whatever. And you would say some positive things about him to try to get buyers. I mean, aside from the whole slavery thing, uh, it's a comedy in this context. Um, and so but what's for sale are not slaves, but philosophers. So, OK, here's an Aristotelian. And, uh, you know, he thinks this and that, and this is, he thinks he's going to do this for you in your life, and this is what he's going to add value, and, and this guy's a stoic, and, you know, he's not very emotional, but, you know, it's, it's a kind of comedy, but there was a time where there were worldviews, and I think in philosophy today, it's not so much that there, there's their worldviews on offer, I mean, I think, what do you think the last worldview was, like Hegelianism, Marxism, it's kind of a, kind of post-Marx, I don't yeah. know, is there... Marx is, Marx yeah, is oh, it's so much, I, I'm not sure there's a, like a way of, of life for the individual on offer there. Um, work, work towards the revolution, I, I, I guess. Um, and I'm not familiar enough with Hegel to say that there's a way of life. Um, yeah. But all the, all the ways of life I'm familiar with are either, like the newer ones that aren't from ancient Greece are, um, religions and objectivism and people looking back that. to the ancient people world and modern people versions like modern of the Stoics and so on and there's a there's an even in revival of people interested in epicureanism and so on but they're there i think that what they're doing is dissatisfaction with contemporary um or dissatisfaction with organized religion they're looking for something else another kind of worldview that has a way of life, a guidance to living a framework. And they're not finding what they want in other places. So they look back and they say, oh, well, these guys had a worldview. And they had um, a way of living and functional advice for man. I mean, the, the whole modern stoicism thing is largely, it's not entirely, but it's largely um, techniques and perspectives for managing adversity. So it's often not treated exactly as a as a systematic philosophy that you would then adopt. But it's, oh, these people had a worldview and with certain philosophic perspectives about what you can control and what you can't control. And, so, and people, you know, uh, of course, they're determinists. So there's <laughs> only so far you can go with saying you can control stuff. But uh, that's their contradiction. But um, it's but it's relevant, though, that people as culturally as a phenomenon, people are looking back to a time when there were worldviews. And trying to find some sort of uh, guidance or some sort of perspective that's not traditional religion. Um, and, but they also don't, would, they also wouldn't go to a philosophy department for guidance. Like, would you go to one of your professors for like, how do I live my life? What kind of person should I become? I think they would probably, I don't know. I mean, I, why would I be any more qualified than anybody else to give you advice on that? I don't know, figure out what you want, I don't know, you know? And yeah, he would yeah. have very public, very conventional advice. You know, uh, the best the best you could you would probably you could hope for in that kind of situation is they would just I you know I don't know what to tell you but here's what the Stoics might say and here's what Epicurus yeah, might that say. Neutral. And this here's makes us back. Yeah, this takes us back a little bit to the sort of World Philosophy Day. I looked on the uh, UNESCO's website and just to get a sense of like what do they think this is, and it's more about yeah they wanted to raise this to say, uh, let's have a World Philosophy Day to kind of bring people's attention sort of yearly to uh, the value of philosophy, the importance of philosophy. And then, but you, they don't write much about it on the site, but it's, well, it's expanding your horizons, critical thinking, you know, it's more method over content versus mm -hmm. because, and I think part of the reason is because once they weigh in on, this is really what's valuable in terms of its content, then you're making a value judgment. Then you're making a, staking a, a specific philosophical position on the nature of philosophy and on what kinds of value it has, given what your view of the nature of philosophy is. So, and then of course, once they put that up there, everybody's going to freak out, and it's like that's not what philosophy is. And then all the philosophers go crazy. Um, and that's one of the tricks about philosophy: is the question what philosophy is is a question that philosophers have to answer, and they answer it differently. And the, and the different answers they give, I mean, a lot of there's a lot of consequences for that. I mean, one of the things I think it's interesting about 
objectivism is that it's not at all in the tradition of, or what do we call it? Um, it's about critical thinking. It's about methodology over content. It's both method and content. And Rand does think that if you, the more you study philosophy, and this doesn't mean you get a PhD, but the more you start looking into what are some of the major worldviews that have been offered? What are the, some of the reasons that have been put forward? What has their effects been in the world, in cultures and people? The more you start to see, you, the more it enables you to get out of a parochial worldview, like oh, just a bunch of stuff you happen to take for granted because that's what your town was like, or that's what your country or uh, was like. And that's right. But she also doesn't think, unlike Russell, that it's to take you down a peg and so you shouldn't think you know anything or know anything about philosophical questions or your, um, and so she thinks you can reach answers to these questions. There are actual answers. They're not sitting out there. You have to discover them, but there are answers to these questions. And because of their role in your life, because they're part of your operating system, they're part of the, the, the premises that you rely on when you function in life, when you choose certain goals, when you prioritize one value over another, uh, how you judge yourself, judge others. I mean, that's what you operate with. And so she thinks they're, they're practical. They are a form of knowledge. So it's not like, like I was reading, uh, one of these contemporary Stoics was saying, uh, uh, what was his name? William Irvine. Uh, he was like, well, it's, a, it's about having a philosophy of life. But he said, I don't think a philosophy of life can be true. And it, he treats it more, a bit more like, well, this works for me. I like it, uh, but I wouldn't, I'm not going to say, oh, like stoicism's true. And this is the right perspective on reality. But if it works for you, um, I mean, if a coat kind of fits nice and, you know, it's not a little yeah. snug here, but otherwise it fits nice. And, and, you know, maybe, maybe Buddhism floats your boat and maybe, uh, or maybe you just, you know, you're not into that uh, or you're into Christianity or something like whatever. You need a philosophy of life. And it's almost as if it's a kind of an arbitrary uh, subjective sort of stance. Uh, that you adopt versus the way Ayn Rand thinks about it is no, these are not, this is knowledge that you're after. And you're trying to reach fundamental truths, not just positions. Uh, so it's both practical action guiding. It's about truth and it's possible. And whether you like it or not, you function by these principles. So you better take hold of them, figure out what they are, figure out whether they're true. And I think that's one of the one of the major things that's going on in like uh, like Ayn Rand's book, uh, Philosophy Who Needs It, is to try to emphasize those points, like how it's uh, how philosophy is operative in all sorts of spheres of human life, and how it's unavoidable. And as a result of being unavoidable, it's important because you got you should pay attention to it. It matters. Uh, okay, I think that's what I would say. We're, wrap up with the yeah, yeah, I think we're out of uh, time today. So um, we have some resources to recommend uh, for people who are interested in learning more about Rand's view of philosophy. Of course, there's the book, Philosophy Who Needs It, especially the title essay, which also titled Philosophy Who Needs It, um, where she lays out her uh, view of philosophy and tries to sell you on the, the value of the subject matter. And then later in the book, she'll spell out more of her, her, own, uh, her own philosophy. We also recommend uh, Ankar Gatte's article, Let's Revive Philosophy, which um, talks about you know, objectivism versus the, the state of, um, I guess you'd call it mainstream uh, philosophy in, 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 in academia in the United States. Um, so those are the two resources we have to recommend. Uh, next week on New Ideal, uh, we'll be having a discussion of gratitude with psychologist Gina Gorlin. I think that's Ben Bayer and Gina Gorlin are uh, discussing that topic. You can always send us your questions for future Q&A episodes and your suggestions for um, topics for, uh, for, fu for future episodes. And email us those uh, questions and suggestions at newideal.ironran.org. We read all the emails and we respond to many of them. Uh, and we have taken suggestions for podcast topics. So 
Don't be shy. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please subscribe to our YouTube channel and click the bell to get notifications when we go live or post recordings. Um, you can do similar things across the other social media platforms uh, as well to help uh, you know, spread, uh, spread the word. If you're watching the recording, please like, comment on, or share the episode to help attract new viewers. Consider doing the same for other social media platforms. If you have questions or comments about today's uh, episode, please email us again at newideal.einrand.org. We'll be sure to read your emails and uh, reply to many of them. And tomorrow, since Thank tomorrow, yeah, and since tomorrow's uh, World Philosophy Day, not today, uh, feel free to share it tomorrow and uh, make some note about, I don't know, maybe some kind of hashtag World Philosophy Day or something and see if we can get some uh, uh, get some traffic in a way because I think this is a this is a perspective on philosophy that I think is important and worth sharing for anyone. Cool. Thanks, Mike. Hey, thanks, Aaron. You've been listening to New Ideal, a podcast from the Ayn Rand Institute. If you like what you hear, leave us a review, share with a friend, and subscribe to our other podcasts. This podcast was made possible by donors to the Ayn Rand Institute. Help support this podcast by becoming an ARI member. Go to aynrand.org forward slash membership.